We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. Whatever but more uncertain now. Uh, listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce's baby. She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five. That's oh. why you need to take Three. a meeting with Two. Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires and corruption. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Yogi Paywall. I'm Steve Jeffers. And I'm Sean P. McCarthy. And joining us today is the editor of the Emmons County Record, Andrew Crowley. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. So uh, today we're going to be continuing what we've been doing uh, for this month of February, which is uh, talking about animals and sort of the business of animals. And um, for this particular episode, we're going to be focusing on the... Uh, basically the meat industry, uh, how it's become something of a cartel and how uh, the business of it works. Uh, and so uh, we ha- we're having Andrew Crowley on because he wrote this really good uh, article, uh, Local Cattle Industry Feels Pain from Pandemic, that um, both looked into kind of uh, local local farmers or local, I guess, cattle ranchers and um, sort of what they're experiencing and also uh, what they're up against, which is, uh, as you found, basically a cartel of three companies, three major companies that control the prices in uh, meat producing. So uh, part of my job, uh, I'm the editor of uh, the Emmons County Tribune, and I also uh, uh, sometimes contribute articles to another publication owned by the same ownership group, the guy who owns us is named uh, Mullen, which uh, that the museum and I uh, <laughs> uh, took the job. Uh, but uh, my, my editor uh, uh, down there, uh, she, had, she had a couple of uh, stories about COVID she wanted to have uh, written. She asked me if I wanted to do one on uh, the cattle industry uh, or uh, I think uh, the pork industry uh, or maybe another industry uh, that uh, important, uh, other industry impacted by, uh, it might have been grain, but it was industries impacted by uh, COVID. So uh, she gave me some contacts and uh, uh, Herman Schumacher uh, was my uh, was the bulk of the uh, of my uh, piece, and uh, he uh, he founded this uh, group for independent uh, cattle ranchers called RCAF USA. I think it was founded in the nineties. Uh, he was uh, uh, doing when I did research on the article uh, to learn more about uh, you know those uh, big corporations that kind of had the monopoly. Uh, right. I uh, dug into a little bit uh, his history of uh, advocacy for uh, cattle ranchers and. Uh, the, the, there are other uh, cattle ranching organizations, uh, but they're a little bit more conservative. This one is a little bit more uh, left-leaning, uh, which, you know, it's uh, kind of an anomaly from from what I got talking to him. Uh, the cattle ranching industry seems to be, you know, on the more conservative end of things. Makes sense. And those companies um, that, so, uh, that you mentioned in the article are, uh, um, they're the ones that I guess ranchers have said are, are controlling um, the prices of uh, cattle that they sell, but also kind of playing with supply and demand um, to kind of uh, tweak the prices. Could you maybe go into like sort of the, the process of what it is that these companies are doing? And then we can 
uh, after that and maybe go into some of the weird details that we've found about these companies. Sure. Uh, so uh, essentially, uh, 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 you know, uh, these uh, these uh, major companies, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they basically control uh, the flow of the cattle into uh, slaughterhouses and such. Uh, they, uh, they have some of their, their own feedlots and things. Uh, and uh, they kind of set the prices of uh, cattle and uh this was a problem even beforehand. Uh, doing the research, uh, I think within uh, I think the last uh, three or four years, uh, there was an article uh, in a uh, like, like in the Wapo or New York Times or some other you know major newspaper or media outlet uh, uh, where they were you know kind of busted for uh, price fixing. And as I told Andy, it kind of reminded me of uh, the episode of King of the Hill uh, where the uh, propane sellers uh, <laughs> you know kind of form a syndicate and uh, right. do price fixing. Uh, these uh, cattle ran- ranchers. Uh, the, the, you know their hands are kind of tied because yeah, they don't own the, the means of production to you know uh, process their animals, so they're at the, really at the mercy of these uh, major uh, meat meat uh, packing plants uh, in terms of the price they get for uh, cattle. And uh, as it, as we've seen with you know uh, basically every aspect of uh, society, uh, you know these uh, these cracks in the system, these uh, you know abuses of power and uh, <laughs> disparities in the dynamic between uh, producers and uh, business. Uh, were only ex- uh, exacerbated by uh, the pandemic. Uh, as you guys have, pro- uh, have probably read, uh, a lot of meatpacking plants, uh, you know, COVID uh, swung through that, uh, like uh, the site of the, of the great uh, the Grim Reaper. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, places had to have reduced staff, which meant uh, less uh, people were able to process animals, which meant a backlog of animals. Uh, in the case of the uh, pig industry, uh, they ended up having to destroy animals uh, because uh, they weren't able to get them off the slaughter. And it was... Uh, you know, uh, they'd rather take that loss than pay the cost of feeding the animals. And uh, those animals were turned into fertilizer. Uh, but with the cattle industry, uh, they were fortunate and spared from that. But uh, uh, on the flip side, like n- normally they might sell animals, I, I think, uh, like maybe a certain weight, like like 1,500 pounds. And some of these steer were coming in at like 1,800 pounds uh, higher. But uh, and, in, and in grocery stores, as you know, we, uh, early in the pandemic, you know, there was a real, uh, because of the, after the effects of uh, the slaughterhouses, there was less meat available to purchase, and then a lot of producers uh, 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 saw, you know, uh, saw you know less profit because uh, because the price for uh, cattle fell, and people at supermarkets, uh, you know, were paying a premium for uh, beef. Uh, uh, they should, you know, like uh, the companies used the corona as an excuse to mess with uh, artificial supply and demand. Uh, for our audience, uh, that episode is uh, season ten, episode ten. Hank fixes everything, where <laughs> there's a propane collusion between Thatherton, Th- Strickland, and a few others. Um, I think in 2020, there's like like you were saying, there's a <clears throat> huge bottleneck of production for the slaughterhouses and the you know processing and packaging because they can't have people in close proximity, etc. And there's like a 20 percent price increase for food food generally but especially meat yeah correct correct and uh from uh, talking to uh I'm, I'm relatively new to uh the area i just moved to and took the job in, in october of last year uh so i'm still trying to get the lay of the land and talking to my uh, co-workers uh you know this is purely anecdotal but uh they noticed kind of an increase in the, the price of even like ground beef uh over the summer uh, due to the that bottleneck so like the the ranchers if i understand what the supply chain view of what happened like I mean, the ranchers were like probably actually pretty happy about the price increase, but they couldn't get enough 
they didn't get enough buyers because they're like we can't process any of this like there's just well, not enough people in order to do the work uh, see, see that's where the, the, the they actually saw like uh, the price of the cattle the uh went down uh uh which is weird because of the uh uh like so like the, basically the uh the, these uh, the big corporations kind of uh cut the ranchers out of you know increased profits so that you know they were able to hold you know like uh, limit the supply of beef uh and uh yeah the Jack up the price, but the the ranchers didn't benefit from that. Like uh, they actually saw the price of uh, cattle uh, uh, falling, they uh, uh, they end up losing money uh, on uh, these the animals when they sold in the market. Uh, okay, so like absent that sort of oligopolistic control, the ranchers would have been pretty happy about the situation, but they they were cut out. Correct. Like you know, they uh, it would have been a different story if you know the, the ranchers uh, like because these are all independent guys. So, you know they. Uh, they don't have the means of these uh, large corporations, but you know they they had their own you know uh, meat packing and processing plants. You know they would have uh, they would have been singing a different tune. I would have said you know uh, they would have seen less of a loss because they would have made that on the back end uh, selling meat at a higher price. I see. And uh, we're referring to these corporations and to the beef cartel. I wanted to be more specific. Uh, we're referring to, I believe, primarily Tyson, JBS, and Cargill. And just according to the Rainforest Action Network, those three control more than 70% of the processing of all U.S. beef. And so those are the good guys, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. The uh, gang of beef bourguignon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've, I've done a little uh, digging on these companies. And uh, each one, I think we should um, uh, investigate more maybe on their individual episodes, but uh, we can give like a little overview of them. So is there any one that uh, you guys want to hear about first? Let's do Cargill. You want to do Cargill? Yeah. All right, let's go to Cargill. So Cargill, our first company, is uh, owned by the fourth richest family in the United States on the Forbes list. The family net worth is $47 billion. Jeez. Hmm. It was started uh, by William Wallace Cargill as an Iowa grain storage business in 1865. And after his death, his son-in-law, John uh, McMillan, put the company on firm financial footing, uh, getting rid of debts and such. And that led to the family often being referred to as the Cargill-McMillan family. And members of both families are now actually on the board at Cargill. It's also a um, privately owned company. Uh, it's not publicly traded, and so it's hard to get a lot of information about them. The family also has a reputation of being very secretive. Uh, in 2019, however, uh, this NGO named Mighty Earth released a 56-page report on Cargill. And the chair of Mighty Earth and the founder of it is former uh, U.S. Congressman Henry A. Waxman, uh, who, as far as I can tell, was kind of a mediocre congressman, but he he named them the worst company in the world. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you, you if know you, what you have to do to get a Democratic congressperson to say that about you, <laughs> <laughs> like, look, not even I would take money from these people. <laughs> the uh, the fifty six page document, which is quite quite the thing, it has a um, what they call a, a timeline of bad behavior that starts Aww. in two thousand. Um, the first thing they have is a deadly listeria outbreak where uh, sliced turkey from Cargill um, was the source of a 10-state outbreak of listeria monocytogenes, 
uh, pathogenic bacteria, and the company had to recall 16 million pounds of turkey. The second thing they list, also from 2000, is fecal contamination, where Cargill provided meat to Sizzler restaurants uh, linked to an outbreak of E. coli illness that killed a three-year-old and sickened 140 others. Um, but don't let that discourage you from taking your date to Sizzler's this Valentine's <laughs> Day. That actually improved the quality of their... Uh, of their meat, of their food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they could have sold it as the Sizzler diet. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how they used to do, like uh, in the, I think it was like the early 20th century, maybe late 19th century. They used to sell uh, tapeworms as a uh, dieting uh, tool. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Sizzlers. Uh, um, God, I remember like trying their pizza and it just being the most disgusting thing. <laughs> I ever had, and I was like ten when all pizza is good. Sure, sure. And, uh, I didn't know Sizzler did pizza. Oh yeah, it's a buffet oh. style mm-hmm. thing. Um, in two thousand one, uh, two hundred fifty-four thousand pounds of Cargill meat was potentially uh, or was tested positive for E. coli. Uh, in two thousand and two, they killed. 50,000 fish by illegally dumping hog manure at a facility near Martinsburg, Missouri. <laughs> wow. They also had a salmonella outbreak causing uh, one fatality and 47 illnesses linked to their ground beef. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2003, they were caught union busting in Ohio after they um, hired a replacement worker during a salt miners' strike and tutored him on union decertification and violation of federal labor law. Uh, 2004, more than 60 million gallons of toxic waste uh, were dumped by a fertilizer plant in Florida uh, into a creek that feeds into Tampa Bay. And also in 2004, they dumped another 65 million gallons of acid, uh, acidic wastewater into Tampa Bay. So in 2004, they just did everything they could to pollute Tampa Bay. uh, they also, in 2004, had corn syrup price fixing. In 2005, uh, they were found in violation for forced child labor, um, picking coca beans. Uh, also in 2005, uh, they were caught using Uzbeki slavery at a literal cotton plantation. Uh, in 2006, they killed more fish. It just says here, more dead fish in the document. Uh <laughs> They uh, violated water pollution laws, spilling 218,000 gallons of toxic brine into the marshes along San Francisco Bay uh, near Fremont, California. Now, I'm not totally against that, like driving down property values in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> there, there are more ecologically friendly ways to do that. Sure. Like someone could just fire a gun at night. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're big L.A. Dodgers fans. They just wanted <laughs> to teach those San Francisco Giants a lesson. <laughs> Um, let's see, 2005, also poultry, let's see, uh, they poisoned some lakes and streams in Oklahoma in 2007, more E. coli, 2009, salmonella, and then it, it keeps going. I, I, um, uh, let's see, 2012, there was some child labor. Most of these are salmonella. Oh, there was a tax evasion thing in 2011, uh, illegal land grabbing in Columbia in 2013, in 2014, uh, more child labor. Uh, in 2017, they concealed huge markups. Ch- 2018, child slavery. Um, and they also colluded to fix the price. Of, and this is very 2000s uh, 
um, America, they colluded to fix the price of high fructose corn syrup. Oh, not my high fructose corn syrup, you <laughs> bastards. <laughs> and uh, for our listeners, some of what Andy's mentioning, we will be covering on our Worldwide Fund for Nature, our WWF series that we'll be putting out shortly as well. So um, the, although we won't go in depth into every scandal Cargill has, some of them will be covered on our WWF episodes. It is worth taking a quick pause on the high fructose corn syrup because as we've talked about previously, the reason it's so ubiquitous in the United States is because we have all these tariffs and such to protect uh, sugar growers. Right. So Americans pay a lot more for real cane sugar than uh, most anyone else in the uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. But so high fructose corn syrup fills that gap. Uh, but it's also terrible for you in every single respect. And these, uh, these guys were like, okay, so not only do they not have real cane sugar, let's just make it this crap just as expensive as real cane sugar. Yeah, exactly. So Andrew, for you, for you, quick question I had was that like before you did this article and, and did these few interviews you sent us uh, on factory farming, what was your perception of the whole shebang going into it? Um, you know, uh, as a Marxist, I'm definitely skeptical of any one uh, of any corporation or you know any uh, any small business. You know, uh, I, I think uh, you know if you. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're a capitalist or you know, business owner of any sort, you know, you're just going to be uh, different from your workers. And uh, in this country, uh, you know, uh, unless uh, businesses reined in or just, or, you know, uh, made uh, nationalized, uh, you know, they're going to find ways to skirt around laws. It's like, uh, you know, like, like uh, on The Simpsons uh, in March vs. the Monorail, like when uh, Burns and uh, Smithers dump the nuclear waste in the trees, you know, that, that seems cartoonish, but, you know, uh, honestly, uh, that just seems like something that uh, happens in the United States, you know. Right. They're, they're, they're always game to uh, find a way to uh, do things more cheaply. Uh, fuck whoever, uh, you know, gets hurt by the sludge or, you know, their water waste or whatever. But, yeah, my perception is not good. But I, I didn't know that I was unaware of, uh, like, the, the uh, you know, monopoly on uh, meat production. You know, I, I knew Tyson and some of the other uh, major producers, but uh, I didn't quite realize that they had such a stranglehold on it. Uh, well... Speaking of some of the other uh, producers, uh, which one do you guys want to do next, Tyson or JBS? Well, it's Tyson. Tyson? All right. Uh, so Tyson uh, is... John? John Wait. Oh, yeah. I did just want to make one more observation about Cargill before we moved on. You, you said this is uh, one of the richest families in the entire world, and I'm starting to realize that there might be some sort of correlation between richest families and lowest wages at their companies <laughs> like I, there have definitely been multiple instances of this and I'm starting to think the two things may be linked Sean the labor theory of value is a fallacy um, that has been disproven <laughs> time and again uh, oh, and one other stat from the Rainforest Action Network just about Cargill to put this in perspective uh, their annual revenues are over 119 billion uh, U.S. dollars, which is apparently bigger than the GDP of 70% of the world's countries. Wow. Well, uh, good news, as you uh, might have seen, uh, soon uh, companies will be able to start their own countries. Uh, That's right. Uh, That's right. The future. <laughs> In Nevada. Or else, or is it anywhere? <laughs> it might have been just in Nevada, but you know, I can see them expanding. It'll... Uh, yeah, you know, be less like that Mr. Show sketch where where he uh, where David Cross's character starts his own country, and, uh, 
more uh, like uh, more uh, more like uh, Snow Crash or Cyberpunk type stuff. It's what what a great future <laughs> we're in store for. Now look, I'm the I'm the sheriff of this here Tesla town, <laughs> and Elon Musk has personally given me a license to kill. <laughs> so I suggest you go turn around, and get out of these hundred square miles. Well, we're the rebel revolutionaries of Amazon, and we're here to take you out, Tesla town. Oh my God! Now so you're gonna be a, a, you're driving a hybrid Honda Accord. Uh, this is a, this is a Tesla country, so uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to uh, expropriate your vehicle and uh, lock you up. <laughs> This is going to be a gigafactory in Nevada or something that has its own government, <laughs> and they just like issue like money with Elon on it. Yeah, are they going to make everyone in the Tesla town drive their own Tesla? But because they're only Teslas, the workers can like afford. They just explode on the regular. Sure, sure. They're going to use uh, Tesla like uh, broken Tesla frames. Uh, they'll they'll drive like Flintstone type cars. <laughs> <laughs> They're at uh, an electric service station, and they go, a Ford Mach-E. Uh, we don't serve your kind around here. <laughs> uh, the kids in the town uh, will be, they'll, uh, they'll work the uh, t- charging stations, uh, like, like you know, uh, pump jockeys, uh, right. work for tips. Uh, they'll uh, hop on a giant hamster wheel to spin to uh, charge the vehicles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In Oregon, actually, you can't you can't jump on your own hamster wheel. Right. You have to mm-hmm. have someone at the gas yep. station. Yep. And New Jersey, don't forget about that. And New Jersey. I think they might have changed that law. Actually, no, no, it's true in New Jersey as well. Yeah. So, Tyson Foods, uh, started by John W. Tyson, passed on to his son Donald J. Tyson, currently owned uh, by. John H. Tyson, uh, who was born September 5th, 1953 in Springdale, Arkansas, and has a net worth of $2.3 billion as of April 2019. Uh, His company is known uh, a little bit for food and a lot for price fixing. In uh, 2016, Tyson was sued by Maplevale Farms, which is a food service firm from upstate New York. um, And... uh, they were also sued by other poultry producers in a class action lawsuit for alleged price fixing. Uh, Cisco and U.S. Foods also joined in. Um, according to the uh, New York Times, Maplevale claims that the chicken production companies led by Tyson and Pilgrims made coordinated production cuts in 2008, 2010, and 2011, destroying flocks of breeder hens responsible for producing eggs and causing the price of broiler chickens to significantly increase. Uh, broiler chickens are, by the way, the um, I guess that's the name for chickens that are set for slaughter. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Andy, could I just stop you for a minute? I've been listening to lectures by an economist named Thomas Sowell, and he says that what you're describing is actually impossible. <laughs> uh, businesses never act in cartel together, and mm-hmm. one one would always undermine the cartel and underprice the other. So I, I do not think what you are describing is physically possible right now. So apparently the company is coordinated using a subscription data service called Agristats. <laughs> and uh, actually in the New York Times article, someone was like, these companies are not behaving rationally. It was like someone who was, <laughs> it's, it's like, yes, this they're behaving very rationally. <laughs> it's in their interest to collude. Um, 
But the uh, chicken companies would share unusually detailed information with this service, Agristats, and uh, it would have everything from the age of breeder flocks to monthly operating pro- uh, profits. And the data was technically anonymous, but so specific that it allowed other companies to easily figure out who whose data it was. Sure. Mm. Um, and then they would coordinate their own, um, uh, quote, stock reduction uh, accordingly. Seems like the role of academic economists in the United States is to react to real world events, uh, like Luke reacts to Darth Vader telling him that he's his father. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's impossible. <laughs> no. It's like uh, as Noam Chomsky said that um, there's two schools of economics: one about the theory and one about how it actually works. Yeah. Which makes me picture like in in one room at a university, there's like an economist uh, explaining to students why uh, collusion is not economically possible, whereas in a room next door, there's like a business school like class where they're just explaining how to do it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the DOJ got involved. Mm. Um, they stepped in and blocked discovery uh, from the <laughs> lawsuit, good. quote, pending an investigation. And in 2019, good. Tyson Foods announced that it would be cooperating with the Justice Department uh, on their investigation of price fixing. And Tyson agreed under the Department of Justice's, quote, corporate leniency program, mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> which according to the Department of Justice's own website is described as uh, the antitrust division's leniency program is the most important investigative tool for detecting cartel activity. Corporations and individuals who report their cartel activity and cooperate with the division's investigation of the cartel reported can avoid criminal conviction, fines, and prison sentences if they meet the requirements of the program. Hmm. So it's just a program where if you get caught in a cartel, you say, okay, we'll tell you how we did this. And then oh, it's not like a, a whistle. I thought it sounded like for a minute, like it was a whistleblower protection thing. Is that not exactly? It's like if you get caught and you cooperate, then it's easier to not get charges against you than it would be in other industries. It looks like it's framed as a whistleblower thing, but in practice, it looks like it's just used as a get out of jail free card from corporations. <laughs> I mean, I see nothing wrong with that. I don't know why we don't have more of those all around the corporate world. <laughs> yeah, the DOJ, they have these leniency programs in every crime, right? <laughs> like <laughs> drug enforcement, terrorism, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. They also have this in the GameStop price-fixing industry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For the SEC. Uh, this clause uh, in the DOJ is informally known as the uh, Boys Will Be Boys Act. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know if you... Oh. Go ahead. I don't know if you were about to get to it, Andy, but also Tyson, just from Arkansas, has some pretty extensive links to the Clinton crime family. Uh, I believe <laughs> Hillary sat on the board, if I'm not totally mistaken. That chick? Um, yes. They were going to have Bill sit on the board, but actually they can't use male politicians, <laughs> and so he was immediately killed. Uh, they, they put him on this device that, that cuts his head off. It's very cruel, but they, they can only use female politicians on the board at Tyson. That's why Bill speaks Oh, like this that. is, this is OG Clinton stuff Oh yeah, from 78, 79. Uh, there's a whole Wikipedia page on the Hillary Clinton cattle futures controversy. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> See, this is how it starts. 
This is how it starts. You start by looking at Hillary Clinton cattle futures, and then suddenly you're looking at the autopsy for Vince Foster. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly you're like, you've got an entire map of the parking lot, uh, the crime scene, uh, which cars were parked where, where his body was discovered. Uh, this is all you can talk to about your uh, to about your friends. <laughs> What's that? What's that game where you have like you? They put you on a random wiki page, and you're supposed to get to another one. Oh, Wikipedia racing, something, something like that. Geo guesser, maybe. Something like it's like same same concept, right? Uh, if the destination was like Clinton, like um, cattle price fixing or something, it'd just be trivially easy to get there for most places. <laughs> Say what you will about Vince Foster, uh, you know, they got a good uh, cut of hanger stick, stick off of him. So, you know, uh, they, the Clintons really made him into something. <laughs> Let's see how quickly I can get to Vince Foster. I'm on Whitewater now. Uh, Andy, are you Wikipedia racing during the show? <laughs> oh, hey. three, Two clicks <laughs> to suicide of Vince Foster. <laughs> Look, you might think it's cruel what happened to Vince Foster, but what are you going to eat Impossible Burgers the rest of your life? <laughs> are you going to you going to have celery instead of real beef? I don't think so. I gotta I gotta save this page because it's very clearly uh, ground zero for what I'm sure is um, a battle between Clinton truthers and Clinton supporters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just constant Wikipedia editing where, like, you know, a segment will go in about uh, someone who was found dead at a cattle ranch, and then a Clinton <laughs> uh, acolyte will remove it, and then they'll fight yeah. in the talk section. Or they, they flag it as, like, misleading. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, it's unfair to blame Hillary for cattle mutilations. The Clinton crime family only mutilates humans. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, it's something that we've mentioned briefly previously, but unsurprisingly, the Clintons, their rise in local Arkansas politics, they had to make nice with powerful businesses in Arkansas, which includes Tyson. And then later on, they were sort of paid back with welfare reform. We've also briefly mentioned this. We'll hopefully explore it more in future. But because of welfare reform, when a lot of people were thrown off the welfare rolls, um, a lot of these, you know, really horrible uh, major corporations like Tyson that pay extremely low wages for extremely dangerous uh, jobs were able to essentially recruit people who were formerly on welfare who just didn't have a choice. Hmm. Like they would ha- go to these welfare recruitment fairs. And if you're going to be a problem, if you're going to try to form a union, they're going to throw you out on your ass because they have an entire extremely desperate, extremely poor labor pool that they can draw from. Yeah, I think one of our hotel billionaires, uh, we found him running one of those job things and playing up uh, the advantages of welfare to work. And he was also a major Clinton contributor. They got paid back for those cattle futures. That's why they agreed to take (laughs) out Vince Foster. (laughs) So, uh, do you guys want to talk JBS? Let's do it. Sure. JBS is uh, the third company. And uh, it was started by Jose Batista Sobrinho. Uh, no relation to the Cuban Batista uh, government, but, well, except a spiritual relation. Sure. Um, 
they founded a small butcher shop in 1952 and uh, grew by acquiring uh, slaughterhouses in the in the region in Brazil where it was founded. Um, Wesley and his brother Josley Batista uh, took control in the 2000s, um, leading to JBS's 2007 acquisition of U.S. pork and beef processor uh, Swift & Co. for about $225 million. In 2017, uh, Wesley was arrested as part of a large Brazilian bribery probe and uh, reportedly held for six months. And then, according to Forbes, in May 2017, the brothers agreed to pay a $3.2 billion fine to Brazilian authorities to, quote, atone for their role in a large corruption scandal. Mm-hmm. So uh, both brothers are worth uh, $2.8 billion as of February 2001. And, oh, Jean? Oh, I was going to say, you know, also Jose Batista went on to be an all-star player for the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that man had a very busy life to, to take that up so late in life. Mm-hmm. So their operation uh, came under scrutiny during uh, Operation Car Wash, which was a Brazilian poli- federal police investigation uh, that was originally looking into money laundering. Eventually they uncovered the bribes of uh, uh, associates in the Brazilian state-owned company Petrobras, and later they uncovered bribes to top government officials. And this included JBS bribing the president of the Brazilian parliament, uh, Eduardo Cunha. Hmm. And when this came out, uh, Cunha was pushing the impeachment of Brazilian president Dilma Rousseff. Hmm. And in May 2017, Josley Batista released a recording of dialogue beha- between him and uh, subsequent president uh, Michael Temer, and in the recording, uh, Batista admits to paying bribes to Kunha for his silence. And when this was released uh, by local news, there were a bunch of protests in Brazil and calls for um, Temer to resign, which he didn't. Oh, um, he served out the rest of what was originally Dilma Rousseff's term. Right. Um, and uh, two days after the recording was released, uh, JBS also admitted to paying bribes to Michael Temer. Dilma Rousseff and Lula. And a year later, Bolsonaro was elected president. Hmm. Um, as to the fact that like after they were investigated um, for bribing Kunha, like after that, they admitted to bribing Lula. It, it seems a little bit fishy, mm-hmm. uh, especially with everything else going on with the election of Bolsonaro um, and uh, Lula, uh, Rousseff and Temer. Um, uh, just before the recordings were released, the Batista brothers sold $1 billion worth of their shares in JBS, uh, knowing that the stock would tank right after that all came out. And uh, so Josley was jailed in September 2017 and released on March 2018. Yeah, but there's no law that says you can't sell a billion dollars worth of stock based on insider information, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so I know Tyson Foods is trying to get into fake meat. And I would assume if they really are part of like a cartel, as it seems there's quite a bit of evidence to show for it in the real meat industry, um, what's stopping them from simply cornering the new emerging fake meat industry and like edging out some of like the upstart competitors like Beyond Meat or whatever? And just like, I, um, I'm like, tentatively hopeful about fake meat catching on but we've had on other guests 
like a uh, Steve Hendy who are like super skeptical of it. So I just don't know, but whatever, however that shakes out, I feel like it could easily turn into yet another cartel with Tyson foods and like, um, Cargill running things. So like, what is the, what's the likelihood of that happening? I guess. Like, do you have a, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, uh, I think it's a good possibility. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, I, I remember uh, seeing like some uh, like you know other uh, other variations on uh, you know uh, plant based uh, protein uh, apart from Impossible and Beyond. It does seem like some of the bigger uh, meat producers are trying to get in on that. Uh, you know, it's uh, with any company they always want to have you know multiple uh, 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 revenue streams and uh, like you know they, 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 they you know the, even if they're like in, a, in an industry that you know might be you know uh, push out uh, because of uh, changes you know that. Basically, you know, it's evolve, evolve or die, and I can see them doing that and be able to control it. And you know, uh, maybe it, I think it's a way of them hinging their bets. Like if you know, people really because uh, I know uh, more people are interested in uh, vegetarianism, veganism. Uh, I can see you know them hinging their bets uh, if you know people you know turn on meat and you know want to buy less and less of it. You know, uh, or if maybe governments uh, maybe uh, put restriction on it. If uh, you know a, a half-assed effort to combat uh, climate change. I mean, obviously you know. That's probably a factor in it, but it's uh, you know uh, kind of a futile gesture, gesture if you're not you know uh, changing uh, your whole uh, system of production and uh, relationship with uh, the earth. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think that's a good possibility, and uh, I think uh, we're going to see uh, more and more uh, of it. I mean, we're seeing already seeing like national chains like uh, Del Taco, Burger King. Uh, I think Taco Bell's going to incorporate it. Uh, uh, I think uh, some KFC locations had like a yeah. like a a fake meat version of chicken, uh, uh, and uh, I, I and I think uh, like the uh, the vegetarian options have kind of improved. I know like uh, the big thing like with the Impossible Burger is they they make use of heme, which kind of gives it the it gives it more of a meat flavor to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if that's right. going to be uh, a sustainable thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I know there's definitely a cause for concern, like uh, that you know uh, by re- you know getting it to taste more like meat, you know it's. Uh, about as healthy or worse uh, than uh, me as I understand it. But uh, I will say that right. uh, my, my, pet, my experience with the plant-based stuff has been pretty good. Uh, I've, I've had the Impossible Bur- Whopper a couple times. Uh, and uh, I uh, used like a plant-based protein. I made uh, bolognese last year and it came out pretty well. So uh, I, I think it's solid, but I'm not sure, you know, uh, how sustainable it all is. I was what yeah, I was thinking like, either Tyson is seriously mm-hmm. hedging this and like they, they really do mean to get into the industry or they're just trying to raise the barriers to entry to eliminate competition so that they can just go back to, to regular meat stuff and keep fake feet, fake, fake meat as like a sideshow. I, I, I can see them, you know, doing it uh, both ways. Uh, uh, like kind of get like, you know, hedging their bet that way, you know, they keep out competitors, but you know, if it really takes off then, you know, uh, they're in the driver's seat and, you know, can uh, take advantage of it. Uh, maybe uh, drive up the price of uh, fake meat, just like they did for uh, the real deal. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Andrew, from what you mentioned there, it does seem like the franchise food uh, corporations are taking notice of the vegetarian, vegan uh, crowd and accommodating to them as a consumer base. But I don't know whether or not the meat corporations are going to figure out a way to shift production towards a meatless uh, meat. I always think like 
if I was Tyson or Cargo or one of these people, it would behoove me to think like, oh, maybe I should just make a meat that's like half meat, half not, like a hybrid to somehow appease people that are like, all right, I'm trying to not be a piece of shit that's always that, eating a dick load of meat. Well, Sean, what that, doesn't, that doesn't work, Yogi. This is, you're not like a 50% vegetarian. No, of <laughs> course. like, sure. But, look, you know, I don't believe are, in cruelty to animals. I'm only going to kill half a cow. And that rounds down to zero cows. Yeah, but I think that there's people that, uh, and my, my question to you now, Andrew, is that like, you what know, if we torture cows where you, you know, you just cut off one of its legs while it's still alive and geez. make that into a burger? <laughs> but you're not killing it. No, we, so that's, that's actually not. more humane. Yeah. Listen, veganism's hard. We need, the, we need to develop a cow like the one from uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe that uh, likes to be killed or doesn't mind being killed. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be the uh, key to right. uh, our success. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. as, as wage our guilt, uh, you know, it'll be... Uh, uh, It'll be like you know the the uh, culinary form of uh, the indulgences of the uh, old Catholic Church. I I, I want to say that maybe even some restaurants have uh, have items on the menu uh, that are kind of and I've seen some recipes that kind of you know do uh, kind of like a fifty fifty blend of uh, of the uh, fake meat with uh, the real deal. Uh, and I could see maybe somebody doing that as a kind of a jumping off point to kind of get a you know a feel for the meat like the fake meat see if they like it it's almost like uh it's kind of like sure. detoxing i guess uh or you know slowly weaning yourself off rather than going cold turkey yeah right right yeah that's that's my intent sean i get that like people that are vegetarian aren't going to be like oh it's only half meat so it's not that bad but like i think that uh, to get people that uh, love pain in their food to get off that high horse that, that you'd need something along these lines also for context the the sean and yogi bickering is between a lifetime vegetarian and a lapsed vegetarian <laughs> yes i did i started uh doing the impossible burgers and the impossible sausages again and they're good they're very close but then just recently for research for our animal month i've started googling uh monsanto glyphosate u.s food supply right and now i'm like oh great there's no escape no you're just if you if you're in america eating food you're gonna get and, cancer and uh yeah i want to say like a. Uh, I, I want to say that maybe some of those uh, fake meats, I think they might make, make use of palm oil. And I know that's, you know, another uh, sticky matter. And yep. you know, I, I'm saving right. animals by uh, not eating meat. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, <laughs> your uh, impossible burger is uh, soaked in the uh, ashes of uh, poor orangutans who couldn't escape the forest fires uh, or died of uh, their habit being uh, destroyed to, uh, just to fuel the palm, palm oil I love in this country. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, save a cow and slave a child. <laughs> I would be, as far as trade-offs go, I would be willing to eat food that was likely to give me cancer if it meant like way fewer animals would be slaughtered, though. Mm-hmm. Overall, well, the nice thing, Steve, is you don't have to make a choice. Actually, both options <laughs> come with the cancer. So, so Andrew, uh, rounding out a little bit of this episode, uh, one of my final questions for you is that, like, you know, the phrase itself, seeing how the sausage is made, is sort of uh, pulling back the curtain and unveiling the real process of how the meat is put together. Um, so my question for you is, you know, why do you think most consumers of meat in the U.S. are so blind to the, you know, outright corrupt practices of major meat conglomerates? Well, uh 
I, I think uh, one thing that factors in is uh, they're major conglomerates, so they're able to, you know, uh, use their uh, PR division uh, and uh, the media to uh, manufacture consent uh, and, you know, kind of allied things. And uh, I, I think part of it's uh, just kind of the way, uh, you know, uh, things are set up for us uh, with uh, with these uh, with these factory farms and such. You know, we're kind of a divorced, uh, we're divorced from our labor, divorced from, you know, our uh, food sources, which I, I think that's... Uh, I think that's one one factor really driving in like the uh, local foods movements uh, around the country and around the world. Uh, people you know want to maybe be more in touch with you know uh, what goes into the uh, process, and uh, I do think there is a tendency uh, um, among Americans and you know other folks to you know uh, kind of look the other way. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, as uh, Phil Oaks saying, we're all uh, links in a chain. Uh, you know. Uh, and the the old uh, hobby horse, uh, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but you know there's there might be ways to you know mitigate uh, you know uh, your impact in the world, uh, but it's uh, it's hard to do. And uh, yeah, I, I think people are just uh, you know afraid, uh, maybe you know not interested in uh, you know uh, examining uh, their eating habits because you know uh, they really look into it, you know, uh, and they might you know realize you know yeah I'm I'm kind of uh, complicit in this, you know. I, I'm not, you know, slaughtering all the animals, but you know, uh, I'm buying it so I help help you know uh, create the demand for it. So I, I think the, I think that's one thing uh, along driving the local foods movement. You know, like uh, these animals are, you know, uh, yes, they're slaughtered, but uh, you know, they're a little more uh, they're cared after better. In theory, you know, I'm sure there's uh, small farms that you know don't do, don't do everything above the board, but in theory, you know, the animals are, you know cared for and, you know, were not uh, kept in awful uh, conditions uh, for their lives. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's also that. And then, you know, uh, with, uh, like, I mean, look at how, how many hours everyone has to work, you know, like, you know, with uh, the wage not increasing, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, it's just easier to, you know, eat a burger uh, that you picked up from uh, McDonald's and, you know, uh, watch a CBS sitcom rather than, uh, you know, uh, wade into the weeds. Uh, and it and it's uncomfortable, you know. Uh, uh, not everyone is up to uh, facing the reality, and uh, so I kind of admire people who, uh, you know, slaughter, raise and slaughter their own animals, and you know, uh, the, they know where their meat comes from. Uh, you know, they put in the sweat equity for that, and uh, you know, it's kind of more respectable than you know somebody who uh, just buys stuff from the grocery store. Uh, you know, like. like who, who might have other like signifiers of you know wokeness or being a, 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 a being an ethical consumer? Right. You mentioned uh, before we started recording here about uh, uh, was I don't know if it was a co-op or, or a local grocery store where they have a higher quality of uh, uh, meat products that are from local farms. Uh, but the people working in the grocery store seem to have a different class than the people buying the product. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of artier, you know, bohemian types, uh, you know, uh, and, and people like passionate about cuisine. Uh, you know, I had some great coworkers there, uh, you know, uh, taught me a lot about different cheeses, uh, different, uh, you know, dishes and stuff. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, they're above minimum wage, but, you know, it's still not quite a living wage for, you know, some people, unless you've been there for a number of years. Uh, right. My, uh, my uh, college uh, roommate and then my roommate of the last two years, uh, he, he's like one of the managers, he's a manager there and like one of the head butchers uh, and he's uh, he's making like 40000 a year, which, you know, it's uh, not bad to, for Indianapolis, but it's still, you know, 
he could be high, paid higher, but uh, I, I've got him reading uh, marks and uh, stuff, and I've uh, you put him on the path, I think. Nice. And yeah, a lot, a lot of those people uh, are, you know, uh, like uh, one of them is like a, one of their regular customers is a uh, local politician in, uh, in Indiana, and uh, yeah, he, he's a he's a Republican, and you know, uh, kind of a jerk, and the. the you know, a lot of the uh, other customers are, you know, limousine liberal types uh, where, you know, uh, they'll have, uh, you know, right. they sign in the front yard that are ubiquitous in places like Portland, Brooklyn, you know, uh, the water is a right, right. Uh, we believe in science, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, basically, yeah. uh, basically the ter- type of pe- people who be uh, lampooned in uh, Love Me, I'm a Liberal. Liberal until it's, uh, right. until it's uh, inconvenient for them, essentially, I'd say. I wanted to go back and highlight that phrase, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I think it's very important for the listeners to hang on to in case somebody gives them a lecture about doing cocaine at a party. (laughs) (laughs) At least that cartel creates jobs in... uh, The global south. Disadvantaged communities, yeah. And entertain us. I mean, without the cocaine cartels, we wouldn't have narcos. That's right. That's right. And several (laughs) other TV shows that were poorly written at 3 a.m. coked out of their minds. (laughs) <laughs> we need a, we need a steady cocaine supply in order to oh. you know inspire our entrepreneurs to start restaurants, uh, coffee co-ops, uh, bike uh, bike stores slash record stores. You know uh, they are our true innovators. You know yep. uh, our graduates of Oberlin College, uh, Bard, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, etc. Our top Brooklyn podcasters. That's right. That's right. Hey, and I'm not know, including us in that. It should be highlighted, you know, so the cocaine cartels, of course, use child slavery, what? but unlike Car- unlike Cargill, they don't have the fucking balls to go to the Supreme Court in 2020 and say, you should let us keep using yeah. child slavery. Yeah. Like there's some honesty in not trying to legalize your child slavery, unlike these fucking meat cartels. And as far as I know, cocaine's vegan. Yes. But I'm not making that up. Cargill and Nestle just went before the Supreme Court and said uh, they are, of course, involved in cocoa production in uh, Ivory Coast and Ghana, which, you know, millions of children are enslaved in that. And Cargill has said, we can't be liable. Right. We just we just buy the slave made coke. Uh, oh, no, these children aren't employees. They're independent contractors. Yep. Yes. Yep. This is an internship program. They'll move up after uh, a year. You'll see. Well, this is Nestleville, and none of our children here are employees. <laughs> no, no, no. We've adopted them, so we're all technically a family. In Nestleville, the age that you can start working is eight years old. <laughs> we changed the law as soon as we did. We are over. changing these children's lives. Uh, after one year of employment under us, they are eligible to apply for Kiva microloans. <laughs> <laughs> There's something like. 2010 like global like uh sort of eu globalist about this where oh, it's yeah. like the defenses of the kids are like um they're getting an opportunity this is like an increasingly interconnected world and it has a very complex supply chain that we can't we can't necessarily know who's doing what in it right but we do know that it reply it it creates quite a few jobs in the U.S. industrial south, so it has to keep continuing. You know, if Nestle, uh, if Nestle wasn't doing business on the Ivory Coast, uh, 
you know, there wouldn't be these jobs for these kids. And, you know, how would they make a living to feed their parents? I mean, we're, we're you know, we're not paying them that much, but, you know, uh, that's right. It's more money right. than they would have gotten otherwise. So, you know, we're, we're you know, we're kind of heroes here. Thomas Soul, is that you? <laughs> uh, Sean, I think you had a question for me uh, or a comment. Uh, Andrew, I did want to ask you two sort of related questions. And the first is just doing your research and talking to the people that you've talked to have been involved in uh, these industries for, I would imagine, decades. Uh, did you have any takeaways in terms of what has changed uh, over the most recent few decades in the uh, the meat supply chain? And the second related question is, has doing your research changed your personal eating habits at all? And if so, how? Um, from uh, from uh, talking to uh, uh, Herman Schumacher and uh, the other gentleman, uh, that are uh, uh, like and, and also doing research on like uh, the history of like uh, Schumacher's advocacy and like RCAP, it sounds like you know uh, this has been an ongoing uh, struggle for uh, for decades. You know, the, uh, I think RCAP dates back to the '90s or '80s. Uh, you know, it's so you know these independent ranchers have been fighting uh, you know the the cartel the cartels for uh, you know decades and. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of uh, seems like uh, trench warfare where, you know, just an endless slog where, you know, they're just, you know, uh, you know trying to, you know, uh, uh, do their best to not get wiped out because, you know, uh, it, it would be to the advantage of these uh, big companies to have them wiped out uh, better for the bottom line and uh, less legal legal stuff because, you know, uh, Schumacher had told me you know, he'd, he'd been involved in, uh, in a number of lawsuits uh against these corporations. So, uh, you know, they can squash them, it'll be, you know, even easier for them to get the, get the, what they want. I mean, they're already kind of automatic uh, to begin with. Uh, as uh, far as my eating habits go, uh, you know, I I uh, don't really eat uh, too much uh, meat, you know, maybe, you know, a couple, couple times a meat, uh, <laughs> a couple times a week, uh, you know, I, I generally eat, you know, like uh, more plant-based stuff, like, you know, lentils uh, and other pulses, uh, you know, I, I, I'm Italian, so Italian American, so I eat a fair amount of pasta, and you know, a lot of it's like you know vegetarian, you know, like or maybe okay, maybe some dairy stuff, like if I have like an Alfredo. But uh, uh, there was uh, uh, one one night recently, uh, I was at the small gas station in town. Uh, you know, where I live in a pretty rural area, there's only like a, about a thousand people in town, um, and uh, a lot of a lot of ranchers and stuff, and uh, there was a uh, uh, cow in a trailer and I just stared at it, looked in its eyes and, you know, like, it was like, you know, it's like, you know, I, was, I just started thinking, you know, why the hell do we eat these things? I mean, they're, like, they're so sweet and it's, so I, I, I've tried to, you know, cr cut back on my uh, uh, beef consumption, you know. Uh, yeah, I know chickens aren't raised under, you know, great conditions, but I feel a little, uh, a little less awful eating chicken, but I know that they, they, they also can develop personalities and stuff like that. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm hoping uh, for a future where, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, I think like lab-grown meat, you know, I'm a little bit leery of it, you know, because it looks weird. But, you know, if it can, you know, uh, save the need of people for meat and, uh, you know, not kill animals, uh, you know, that seems like a better outcome uh, until we, uh, you know, have the uh, replicators that will never come, like, from Star Trek. <laughs> so, Andrew, what do you think is the most misunderstood part about factory farming when it comes to the general public? I mean, we've certainly covered slavery corruption and just you know the the myriad of uh crimes going on to produce uh meat but do you feel like is there's one aspect of it that's more misunderstood than others um uh, i would say that you know uh to maybe somebody uh, who uh 
doesn't you know know too much about like food supply chains and such. Uh, I can see in the, in the think maybe coming away from like uh, like when the beef prices you know really increased last year, thinking that you know the ranchers must be making a killing as well. But uh, as I learned, you know that's not really the case. That you know uh, it's uh, basically uh, the people who control uh, you know the the line share of uh, the industry who really make the profit and who control the the means of production and the facilities to process these animals. So. And uh, and I think maybe also uh, like uh, particularly when it comes to the beef industry, uh, maybe people aren't quite aware of like the impact it has on the environment. Uh, whether it's like the amount of the sheer amount of methane gas that uh, cattle release, or uh, like the impact the impact it has on uh, farming. Because uh, I know like uh, a lot of like the grain, uh, like a lot of corn in the U.S. is uh, if it's not you know uh, earmarked, uh, no pun intended, uh, for uh, high fructose corn syrup. You know, a lot of it goes to cattle feed and. Uh, of course, in the rainforest, you know, they're slashing and burning uh, the trees, which are, you know, the earth's lungs uh, in order to have uh, cattle raising land. And of course, uh, you know, it, it uh, kind of it's a cycle that feeds into itself because, uh, you know, the cattle produce more methane. And uh, and of course, you know, transporting, you know, the the cattle uh, process or not to, you know, other part, other countries to know, like uh, I believe McDonald's uh, and other, uh, you know, uh, major companies uh, source of beef from Brazil and other parts like uh, uh and like, uh, especially with those big producers, you know, uh, you could have, uh, you could get like a steak uh, or ground beef that's made up of uh, multiple cows, uh, you know, from uh, multiple countries. Right. Yeah, from uh, one of the books I'm reading about the WWF, it was covering um, uh, fish farming in uh, South America. And from what I learned that shocked me was that half of the fish that they catch is used to feed the fish so that they have enough protein to be good enough for the market. So like, you know, because if they don't do that and feed it like some sort of uh, vegetable meat protein, the fish then aren't good enough quality wise for the market. And there's something when you read like that, where you're like, wait, half, half of the fish. Like, so you're telling me if they just didn't factory farm these fish that we could have, probably a quarter of them at regular quality if not to deal with i mean it just seems like so many hurdles to then you know increase the bottom line for the people on top and you know certainly uh, we'll get more into this on our wwf episode but uh, everyone from the people that previously lived there to divers that are supposed to take care of uh the fish uh netting that goes down to 40 meters even though it's only legally allowed 20 meters i mean it just the 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 population at the bottom is getting fucked left and right, but be it uh, due to the profit or not. Well, it's especially cruel with the fish that um, while they're feeding them, they put signs in the water that say, "This is your mother you're eating." <laughs> it uh, it it kind of reminds me of uh, to you know lean on another sense of reference uh, uh, the uh, itchy and scratchy uh, cartoon where uh, uh, itchy serves up scratchy's own belly and he keeps eating the same piece of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think, and I think that's the same problem, like in the, the cattle industry, because I, I, in other parts of the factory farm, because I, I, as I understand it, like some, uh, you know, some uh, rant, some cattle producers will uh, feed uh, bits of cattle to other cattle. And uh, yeah. I, and I know, like another uh, another concern with the beef industry, uh, which you might get to on another or the the meat industry in general, is uh, the huge amount of antibiotics and. Uh, uh, the food. I know that's. Uh, right. I know that's. I, I believe that's impacting, uh, like you know, uh, 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 viruses, uh, bacteria, and such uh, that are uh, 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 
resistant to uh, treatment by antibiotics. So, you know, it's kind of exacerbating the problem. I know that's already uh, concerned that, you know, nobody's really researching new antibiotics and uh, yeah, there's a chance that, you know, we're going to get some, you know, uh, nasty uh, infections like, I know, I know like uh, staph infection, I know, or like one of those uh, types of infections that, you know, are resistant to antibiotics. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, we're looking to a great future, you know, we're either going to die of another uh, disease or uh, burn ourselves uh, to death, you know, uh, good to have options. <laughs> yeah, the, on the um, on the Mighty Earth document about uh, Cargill uh, for 2002, the, their salmonella outbreak um, that had one fatality and 47 illnesses, that was um, also antibiotic resistant. <laughs> and I think oh, yeah, we, looked at, we looked into it a little bit on our... Um, uh, one of our early episodes uh, where we looked into antibiotics and how it's like used in livestock where oftentimes when people talk about like uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria, it'll be in a like kind of tusk tusk sort of tone where they're like, and don't ever leave a bottle of antibiotics unfilled, unfinished mm-hmm. because that's how you create antibiotic resistant bacteria. Meanwhile, most antibiotics are just being shoveled into animals to make them like yep. thicker um you know without any sign of disease and that's what's actually driving the antibiotic resistance but you know the because the agriculture industry is so strong um they don't that's not reported on and uh another thing like you'll probably get into this in other episodes but i know that uh like factory farms like you know america loves to talk about how much they love small businesses but you know a lot of those uh factory farmers are you know mm-hmm. putting smaller farmers at the bit at the past year uh, no pun intended uh uh yeah it's like it's yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's harder and harder for people, you know, tr- trying to make a living, you know, and uh, raise animals uh, humanely, and you know, without all the awful conditions and uh, antibiotics and other stuff that they uh, feed uh, feed the animals to get them, you know, uh, appealing uh, and uh, profitable in the market. This used to be Microsoft country, but then the Tyson virus came in and took out all the servers. <laughs> Fortunately, the Nestle vaccine saved some of us, but. The AWS services couldn't save us all. That's going to be like how you get a job at one of these companies is they just ask you, like, have you played Fallout and how good at it, at it were you? <laughs> I know I'm never going to get a job. I gave up at the radioactive giant dog. <laughs> they give you uh, yeah. the uh, food industry version of the, the Voight comp test. They uh, you know want to make sure that, you know, they'll, they'll test you to see if you have, uh, if you have any... Uh, how many, uh, how much antibiotics you've had? Like, if you're not consuming enough of their beef, you know, uh, or chicken, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, we did. We analyzed your stool samples and uh, your blood, and it appears, you know, uh, you purchased your beef exclusively at a co-op, but, you know, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> that's a little too uh, elf for us, you know. We we don't like you uh, environmentalist, uh, environmental activist types, so, you know, we're going to have to pass on you. Uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Ugh. Do you think there are people out there bodybuilding and like using steroids who specifically ask for the cows that have the growth hormones? <laughs> like, like give me the cow that looks like Vin Diesel. I'm trying to trying to get as much HGH in here as possible. There's a whole industry of people who specialize in making buff cows. <laughs> Our cows are injected with steroids right before we kill them so that you get the benefits. What if they, they put too much growth hormones in the cows and they get too powerful and have a Spartacus rebellion? <laughs> <laughs> just these like 
super swole <laughs> cows take over Indiana and form a provisional government. <laughs> I like it. I think I think this was a far side cartoon. <laughs> M- uh, Mau- Mauism with uh, cattle characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been Grubstakers. Uh, Andrew, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at uh, Fugazi Truth. There, uh, 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 yeah. Follow me there. You know, uh, uh, well, you know, as far as my newspaper goes, uh, uh, we're at the ecrecord.com. Uh, we do have a paywall, but you know, if you uh, feel like subscribing, uh, you know, uh, we're great. To have, we're grateful to have the revenue. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm also uh, pretty liberal when it comes to uh, sharing my uh, articles and stuff, uh, but if, if there's any interest, uh, you can check it out there. Uh, uh, thanks for having me, fellas. It was uh, great. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, thanks for thanks for being on. Uh, I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Yogi Polywool. I'm Stu Jeffers. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Check us out on Patreon for more episodes about the business of animals this month. Thank you. <laughs>